Good evening, listeners, and welcome to another edition of the Citizen Wolf Audio Podcast. This is episode 11 you're currently listening to. Uh, I'd just like to say thank you so much, everybody who's been supporting the podcast lately. It's been absolutely fantastic. Been getting a lot of kind messages, and um, people seem to be downloading it more frequently, which is absolutely awesome. And uh, for episode 11, uh, we've got a very special guest. We have Fiora, the tank girl. We have, what's the best way to describe? you we got con- quite a lot of strings to your bow i think you got content creator streamer and probably most importantly accomplished writer published author even thank thank you so much for joining the show uh, how are you doing i'm doing all right uh the the exact term is usually uh i i i'm a researcher of fandoms and i write books that's pretty much 90 percent of what i do what, what does that what does that entail then a researcher of fandoms then what what, what do you mean by that uh, people ask some like strange questions or people want to figure out and compare things and um, they're not always immediately straightforward. It's stuff like uh, how what's the weirdest power in from a research and biology standpoint in my hero academia or what is the uh, or how hard can all might actually punch without uh, and if he wanted to kill someone or if i wanted to jump to something else uh how do pokeballs work <laughs> oh okay there's not an answer on their on their wikipedia or in the case of my little pony um what's the uh difference in uh what are ponies actually made of because you've got things like a knife will injure them, but also you have Applejack sending Rainbow Dash over a horizon via a catapult, and she crashes into something, and she's relatively okay. So the question is, what are they made out of to be able to do that? Magic, <laughs> I'd assume. Have you come to a conclusion on that one? Working on it. Still working on it. Still researching see, it. See, from, from my perspective... Um, with my degrees it's it's not so much magic exists it's more magic is merely science i haven't explained yet that's that's a good way to look at it um so th- there's a lot of uh <laughs> so where exactly do i start with this exactly i'll do my best to pick a start and we'll try and uh, go from there i guess i think because your body of work is so massive and huge and you've been active in several fandoms for best part of a decade now perhaps even longer than would i think that's fair to say um at which point did you decide to become a content creator i do apologize if i'm getting some of the chronology a little bit mixed up here you can fill in the blanks for me my understanding is you got your start off as a esports player specifically with world of tanks is that um accurate uh yes uh i started playing esports when i was a undergrad in college uh and i got particularly good at a game called world of tanks uh, when they actually had a professional league. Um, but they, they don't now then, I take it? No, they don't anymore. Uh, the ratings weren't great. And the game is complicated enough that you don't really have a very big audience. It's not something like League of Legends where everyone can understand exactly what's going on when it's happening. Unless you've been playing the game for enough and actually studied the mechanics. Uh, think of it as like... Think of it as a first-person shooter, but it's incredibly slow-paced, and instantly knocking someone out is not usually something that happens. 
So, so what, for for someone who hasn't played it before, such as myself, I think I've seen videos of it. Like, so you got you got to, you got. Is it, how does it work out? Like you you pick a tank from a specific selection, and then you basically have to just destroy the other team. Is that the basic premise? This is a very basic premise. Yes, uh, the more complicated explanation would be. At the time, uh, you were allowed to use tanks up to tier 8 out of 10. Uh, you had to use 78 tier points of tanks for a 8-person team. And if you do the math real quick, that means you're not bringing... Uh, or no, you had to use 68 uh, tier 8 tier uh, eight tanks, uh, tiers of tanks, which means you couldn't bring a full tier 8 team. You had to bring either uh, 6 tier 8s and 2 tier 7s or seven tier eights and one tier and one tier six, um, and then you would do stuff like angle of shot matters, trying to find a precise weak point matters, positioning matters, um, and there's so much going on at once that it's hard to know where to zoom in at any one time when you're being the cameraman. Um, we would actually have sometimes where the announcer was focused on one thing, and suddenly three players would get knocked out and they would go, Oh, what's going on on the other side of the map? And they would realize that that was where the push was actually happening. Um, so it's not, it's, it's more like, uh, it's more like playing chess, but in real time where, where nobody actually has, has to take a turn. So, so when, so why do you think the uh, popularity of it like tapered off? Was it because of the difficulty or was that because of other factors, like more, more games become more popular? Other factors it wasn't it, it wasn't super heavily advertised and you know it's trying to pitch itself against a bunch of other uh more prominent esports games at the same time and uh the there were some other issues with it uh one of them being that they had a year where um someone came to the world championship with like a neo-nazi shirt on and was not immediately kicked out good start so the, the, the they, they had some missteps here and there um but you know I, I i went to warsaw one year and my team was given a big penalty because um there was a certain point where there was absolutely no way we were losing so i turned around and started playing off the megatron and we were given a sportsmanship penalty <laughs> as you do you know <laughs> It's like, so he can wear a neo-Nazi shirt, but I can't, you know, play off the Megatron just to have fun. I haven't come across that story before, but the one I've come across was the, uh, I think it's, this has happened a couple of times where apparently uh, people were sharing schematics and blueprints in the forums, like of like confidential classified uh, information about tanks yeah that's ha that, that, that's happened a couple of times with world of tanks and war <laughs> thunder war thunder tries to be a simulator um but there comes a point where they can't though they can't actually simulate things you just have to go look it's it's a game it's just for fun uh and world of tanks is definitely more the arcadey type of game because tanks don't have uh you can't just knock a tank out by by hitting a, a weak spot you have to knock all the hit points off off um so it's like, yeah, this is definitely an arcade game. Why are you guys taking this so seriously? My question is, where did they um, get these schematics from? Where did they, were they on like a server? Somewhere they were actual military personnel who worked oh, on the vehicles. Oh, that makes sense. Right. Okay. So they got in major trouble for this. Yeah, it, it, very much illegal, by the way. <laughs> Just if people were, yeah, like, yeah, don't do that. How angry do you have to be to? 
Or how seriously have you got to take a game to think like this tank isn't accurate? I'm gonna, I could prove it. This tank is not the right dimensions. Is this is the blueprint <laughs> to prove it? It's sort that's hilarious and terrifying to me. It's just like that's dangerous. That's so dangerous. I don't know whether it was it was recent information that they leaked or I'm, I, I don't know. That's all I know about that. But that's how I got my start. One day I was just like, I am tired of seeing absolutely terrible awful players who don't who absolutely do not know what they're doing and then occasionally they'll tell me i don't know what i'm doing and i'm like i'm literally a professional i'm playing on a test on an account where i'm allowed to just play with the tanks so i can go get experience in individual vehicles that i might not necessarily own on my personal account what do you mean i don't know what i'm talking about i'm literally our team's battle caller my job is to come up with the plan and make sure we execute it it's a bit. It's, it's it is quite a shame that you lost interest because of like, uh, sort of people were taking it a bit too. Yeah, I lost interest for a. Uh, I lost interest for a couple reasons. Uh, one of them was like I realized that I'm playing a game that I once treated for fun as a job, and it's no longer fun to play. Another reason, like it was seriously actually causing me stress because I would have to go, like our team had a requirement of you have to do uh, uh, 60 random matches a day and you have to make a certain uh, rating by the end of those matches based on damage you dealt, damage you blocked, uh, capture points, all that stuff. And yeah, I just found, just eventually got to the point where I was like, I'm going to focus on college because this is probably not going to be here forever. And eventually my reflexes are not going to be what they once were. Um, and then I was invited by Obsidian to play Armored Warfare um, as a beta and given permission to release. Uh, this was like my first big video. I was given permission to release a pre-alpha video of curated content from that game. Um, so I picked three vehicles, tried to get as much as I could into the time limit they gave me, and they rubber stamped it. Um, and that's one of the reasons why, like now, every time Obsidian releases a, has released a game in the last six years, I've been able to go, hey, um, can you send me a copy? And they just send me a copy. Oh, you ask for a key and they just send you one, like can you re- review code. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then in 2016, I was uh, invited by one of my former World of Tanks Gold League team members. So one of my former team members called me and said, hey, um, we need you we need a professional actress and it's my understanding that in undergrad you were a part of the university of delaware acting troupe uh how much would it be to get you to come out and i said you know what it's free just get me on a plane <laughs> and make sure i have a place to sleep and i showed up to babscon to play their mascot having never watched an episode of my little pony so you jumped the gun a little bit there on that front <laughs> well they they told me they wanted me to come and play a villain okay yeah the villain's name the villain's name is Queen Quake. And I was like, I, I read the dramatica personas they sent me. I looked at the character art. The character art was humanoid. It was not it was not a pony. So the character art they sent me was humanoid. And I said, This is just Juliet's mom from Romeo and Juliet, but she has actual power over the situation. Mm-hmm. So I just used Juliet's mother's voice and and personality and modified it to be like but she actually has the ability to back up her threat and that was what i played all weekend man so did you enjoy that whole thing hopefully you enjoyed that i had a blast um we apparently had four channels out the next morning 
doing a protest in the lobby saying Queen Quake did nothing wrong. <laughs> okay. Which was beyond funny to me. Um, uh, and by the end of it, people were trying to figure out who I was and 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 what I did and why I was I was this actor and everything. Because we were going around the convention the whole time, actually, in cosplay as the characters showing off and 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 trying to promote this idea that you could use your mascots for more than just ad promotion you could use them at the convention as something that someone can interact with kind of like um how uh adam from the mythbusters adam savage uh explains to people that there is no other way to describe an interaction other than saying you interacted with a cosplayer who was in X cosplay because that interaction doesn't exist anywhere else. Mm -hmm. It's like uh, if Adam Savage is walking around Comic-Con as Adam Savage, everybody recognizes him as Adam Savage. But the moment he puts on uh, no face from house moving castle and starts handing out those little chocolate gold coins to people, people started bringing them back to him because you don't take anything from no face or you pay for it. Right. Yeah. And then he did, and then he did another one where he, uh, where he did the astronaut with the floating drone from Deliver Us the Moon, and so everyone just recognized him as the astronaut because he had the sun visor down, so you couldn't see his face. Um, and that's just that, that, that you're right. Like if you if you walk up to someone in cosplay, you don't view it as the person in, uh, under the cosplay. You view it as I'm interacting with that character. Yes, exactly. Yes. My wife's actually going to go get her hair dyed tomorrow, so she can be. Uh, um adora from she-ra for uh forever free northwest and has been going to the gym religiously for the last nine months to prepare to do this that's that's a that's a brilliant show that is if you if, uh, if people haven't watched that definitely go check that out it's brilliant but anyway yeah sorry carry on so i got invited to do that and then at the end of the convention i was in the staff party with uh two broken toes oh dear Oh, okay. During the opening ceremonies, there's this point um, where I'm walking through the crowd giving my big villain speech, and the crowd wasn't being quiet. And we had been told that so long as we could stay in character, improv was acceptable. Okay, yeah. So I stomped my foot and yelled silence. And the entire room turned to face me and moved two feet away from me at the same time. <laughs> But also the floor at that particular hotel doesn't have any padding underneath it. So I basically stomped car concrete on uh, a carpet on concrete immediately and snapped two toes in the boots I was wearing. Oh, so my screen goes up like my, my yell goes up like two extra octaves. And then immediately afterwards, I had to go up to uh, to first aid and have them wrap my my toes in a splint. So we, and then put me back in the boot. So that no one would notice I'd broken two toes. I even had to sign like a form that said, no, I am perfectly okay operating under these conditions. It is all right that I have caused myself some damage. I do not blame the convention. That's commitment. <laughs> Carry they on. still play the character the rest of the weekend. But uh, one of the staff members suggested I watch, I watch My Little Pony. And I said, okay, fine. So everybody else went to bed. And me being me, I don't drink very much alcohol at all. Um, nowadays, I usually end up being the bartender at, at parties or the person who has the virgin drink of bartenders, not an option. Mm -hmm. um, but I was perfectly sober when everybody went to bed at three in the morning. So I flipped on my laptop and said, I'll watch an episode or two and go to bed and think about it. 9 a.m. rolls around and people are coming in to clean up the party room and I'm still awake. <laughs> I'm on like episode 14. What, did, did you start with season one or did you start like halfway? Steven? Yeah. Yeah. I started with season one. 
was all, I was over halfway through season one by the time somebody came up and realized I was still there. Um, <laughs> so I didn't sleep until I got on the plane to go home. Uh, and at the time, I lived in Pennsylvania, so I got a nice long uh, uh, nonstop flight that I could just nap on the whole way. Uh, but uh, the next year, the same person noticed that I was going to conventions and presenting panels at anime conventions where I would science something and explain it. And I had been at that point to uh, Anime The Hague and Anime Expo and and Los, and San Diego Comic-Con and New York Comic-Con, like really big conventions where I'd just been a panelist. But I'd done enough panels that the conventions had offered me like a free badge. And then I'd done so many panels at San Diego Comic-Con, they just gave me a room. <laughs> Because by that point, I'd done eight panels in a weekend. Um, and she suggested that I do the same kind of sciencing for My Little Pony. And I went, like, with what? And she points and goes, how old are they? And my brain started churning. And once my brain starts going about a question, I, I literally become shelled I don't need sleep. I need answers. So 46 hours later, I put a notebook down in front of her and went, with the exception of Fluttershy, they all start out at what the human equivalent of 18 would be. Granny Smith is 48. I have no idea how old Celestia is. You never see an old unicorn. And uh, Fluttershy is 19. I'm going to bed. <laughs> okay. And it was just this madness notebook that had like 37 pages of notes and then a conspiracy board drawn in it and then a secondary link board and then other references to stuff like the IRS and census agency data for how long it takes a town to develop in uh for how long it takes a settlement to develop into a township or how long how many generations it takes to establish a city just stuff like that and she's like wow you really went nuts on this <laughs> i'll say by the end of that year i was presenting panels at cider fest as a community guest that's, that's, so you you basically proved yourself as the or um established yourself really as like this uh, as a uh an, an, an analyst, I suppose, is is that the correct term? You class yourself as an, a pony analyst? So here's the thing that annoys me just a little bit. I understand why people call them analysts. There's a stigma attached to that, I take it. Pony analysts are more reviewers. Okay, yeah. They're definitely more reviewers. Um, I'm a scientist. My job is not to review the content for its quality. My job is to review the content for... The con for the ability to actually perform the contents therein. So I'm never going to say, and uh, I'm I'm never going to sit up on stage with a panel and say an episode sucked. That's not my job. Now, on the other hand, I'll sit there and I'll look at an episode and I'll go, so Starlight here is a terrible pony because this is an awful way to do a suicide intervention. And Trixie literally just gave a cry for help on stage and she should probably do something about this. But she's sitting over here dealing with the fact that she's sad and this is not okay. Now, on the flip side, here's a good way to do a suicide intervention. Introduce best creature known as Yona. So it's where I'm going to sit there and show, like, this is how you do a suicide intervention and, you know, break it down to the level that an eight-year-old can understand it and make all five steps in less than two minutes. Nice job. Or this is how you don't do that. Um, or another example is like, what is the physics of actually being able to hurl, uh, of Tyrick being able to hurl Twilight into a mountain? And also, how much force does Twilight have to withstand in this case to not just break every bone in her body? Right. That's that's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to go over an episode verbatim. I'm going to look at individual instances and try to find the 
extremes of those instances and then show how what is going on here scientifically with either physics or sociology or psychology or or in some weird cases i've had to do metalgory and geology but those are weird cases so when you decide to like research something is there a particular way you go about things do you like watch a particular episode then decide oh i'm going to research this or is it more of a stream of consciousness uh, type of thing um if that's too too much of a broader question it's not uh so it's 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 multiple steps one uh, usually I have to get either someone send me a question or I just happen to be watching or, or looking at a piece of media and my brain clicks and goes, how does that work? And once my brain clicks and goes, how does that work? I form a, a kind of a, a, a thesis question. A lot of people assume a thesis has to be uh, a declarative statement that you are going to prove. No, in actual research papers, we start with a thesis based question, not a thesis based statement. That's more of a dissertation, isn't it? I think I don't know whether you call it the same thing over there in the states, but yeah. Um, and at the end, we make a thesis statement based on the evidence that's presented to us. This is how good science is done. You ask a question, and then you try to answer the question with the things presented before you, um, and then also using secondary resources and uh, the good old-fashioned scientific method method of uh, take a guess, screw around, and find out. <laughs> See what sticks. It's literally the scientific method. Take a guess, go do something, figure it out afterwards. And then move on to something else. <laughs> and then and then adjust your guess based on the results. Uh, but that's usually what happens. Either someone sends me a direct question and I go, that's a good question. Let me think about it. If it's not something I can answer immediately, that makes it worth doing a video or a panel on or actually sitting down and hammering out a research paper. Then I turn and I'll sit down and I'll review the media a few times. Uh, the next piece of it becomes what's called uh, frame by frame testing. Uh, this is where you literally load it up into a video editing program. And for me, it's Premiere Pro, which means I sit there and click the F and press the F key 500 times because all I'm doing is moving it one frame, frame at, a time. at a time. And then taking notes every time that something significant has changed about the frame um an example of this is rainbow dash uh racing around a racetrack in one of the early episodes the question becomes how fast is she going without flying because she's not using her wings she's just trotting right okay yeah and then i'm like okay so now i can figure out how fast a pony goes without using their wings what reference points do i have go frame by frame the reference points became the audience in the foreground repeats every uh, 57 frames. That means she's completing a lap. All right, cool. Now I need a measuring stick. Pony's a pretty good measuring stick. What? How big's a pony? Rarity has an actual like Taylor's measuring tape. And you can use it and it's in inches to figure out exactly how big a pony is. Cool. So now I have a reference point, a measuring stick, and a and an integer point for when that reference point is going to come up again and again. I can figure out exactly how far she's moving and how fast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so is 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 there a particular uh, bit of research that stands out to you personally, or something that's one of your personal favorites that you looked into? Uh, one of my personal favorites that I don't get to do that often uh, is actually the the how old are the ponies panel. 
because a lot of people don't realize this, but having watched the entire series from beginning to end, we see zero old unicorns. No, there isn't, is there? I can't think of anybody. Not even in the background. And then it gets even better. We only see middle-aged Pegasi. All the elderly ponies are always Earth ponies. And I'm sitting there staring at that for a minute, and I'm going, Spitfire is older than Rainbow Dash, but she's Rainbow Dash is the same age as Twilight and the same age as Applejack and Pinkie Pie. Pinkie Pie's parents look like they're in their 50s between the gray hairs and the wrinkles, but Fluttershy's parents don't look old, and Twilight's parents only velvet has bags under her eyes wait a minute <laughs> so from there um i had to use a bunch of census data about various townships and how long it takes them to transition from homesteading to actual township status like ponyville because uh granny 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 smith says that she came there when she was a kid a small kid and it, there was nothing there and i'm like okay so that's two generations it takes roughly to develop into a township if we assume that the township was established recently, which it seems like it was because they've only ever had one mayor, and her name is literally Mayor. Mayor, um, Mayor, <laughs> yeah. But they've only ever had one, so that means that the township was only established recently. Cool, I can figure this out using census data. Granny Smith's only 48. So this tells me that Earth ponies age faster than... Uh, pegasi and unicorns age even slower than that so if you want to look at it from say a fantasy perspective you're looking at humans dwarves and elves whereas dwarves are pegasi and unicorns are elves oh yeah okay yeah yeah uh, and then it makes other things when i start looking at it from that perspective it makes other things darker but also more endearing an example sweetie bloom will bury the other two cutie mark crusaders and not even be to middle age yet hmm okay but on the flip side of that apple bloom starts 25 out of the 43 cutie mark crusader adventures she not only starts the majority she starts way more than the other two because to her she doesn't have all the time in the world and the fact her two friends are willing to humor her to make sure she has a good life is an indication that the society is aware of how their biology works. Mm, yeah. And it may and it makes me like go, even the Cutie Mark Crusader episodes that make me cringe and and not really want to finish them, I can still appreciate them more now because her two friends know that she's going to pass away before them and they need to make sure they spend as much time with her as they can. Hmm, yeah. Oh yeah. That's 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 certainly interesting. <laughs> Never thought about it that way. There's sort of so how how long have you have you considered yourself like a scientist of the fandom like since the since the beginning? Um I've only been a scientist of my little pony since about 2017. So that's that's pr that's pretty late then, isn't it? Like um when did the show finish 2018 was it? Or 2019? show finished in 2019 um i started in the fandom late and then uh, 
in 2017, I also was uh, a, fr- a person from BabsCon who had assisted me a little bit here and there. His name is Moonhoof. Invited me over to do uh, to to cover his fledgling tabletop company's uh, game where they were taking the Fallout Equestria stuff and turning it into an actual game. And I agreed. And then and then during that, uh, people had noticed that I was writing again because someone came. Now this is a funny story. The same TrotCon that I got recruited to do this, someone came up to me at TrotCon while I was minding the BabsCon table because I didn't have my own merch or anything like that, uh, and put a very large binder on my table. And I opened it and I looked at it and I said, this is all the furry porn that I wrote in undergrad. I'm confused. (laughs) Because during undergrad, I had to pay the bill somehow. Okay, that's in, that's interesting that you that you started off as a not safe for work fan fiction writer. Ah. I started off as a not safe for work uh, furry art writer. That was what I did in 2011 until 2015. I had thought I had cleared the internet of these things before I moved off to do my master's the degree. The internet never forgets. As you'll know, in this case, they dug it up and, and, and managed to link my old username to my to my new name. And I'm like, I'm just impressed. And they're like, I was going to make fun of you and call you out. But after having actually read this, this is good. You were paid to write this and this is actually good. OK, so what's the conditions here? What's the catch? You start yeah. writing again and I you start writing again and I'll show you where I got all of this so you can delete it. Deal. Um, so I started writing my little pony stuff and then in November of that year, the people who had begun reading it, um, asked me to write the fall, asked me to take the fallout equestria game. We were playing a tabletop game. We were actively playing and converted into a novel. Would you say it's your most grand achievement? Cause of course you are a published author and you have actually published a novel, uh, as a part of that. Would you say that's your biggest achievement yet? Yeah, um, I'm working on the fourth novel now. So, so uh, for a bit, for a bit of context, I think for people who might not know what it is, um, let's go a little, let's roll the clock back a little bit. How did you? Um, when did you get interested in the Fallout franchise? Then was it around the same time you were, you got interested in My Little Pony, or was it before that? Oh, I. Uh, oof! Hold on. Um, the I played my first fallout game when i was 10 the two days after it came out it was one of the games that we could get um because this is you know about the time that the esrb doesn't quite exist yet and hasn't been rating every single game that came out so if you have an original copy of fallout one it doesn't have a rating on it oh you you played the original i haven't actually played the original or number two i started with three um so you, you were there from the very beginning then yeah i i started playing with fallout one when was that Nine, 97 that came out i think it was yeah in, in 97 when i was 10 and then um and the reason why we were allowed to play it despite the religious household was my parents at the time still viewed video games as uh, a children's thing and there couldn't possically be anything bad in them and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't connect the docs that actually there, there can be mature themes in certain games. They were letting me play like Command and Conquer and Fallout until I got to be about 15, 14 or fifteen, and then they realized, oh, no, video games contain an enormous amount of violence and and other things we disagree with. And then I'm like, oh, 
<laughs> and then I like clocked onto it. Um, but yeah, I started playing Fallout way back then, and then um, I tried to play Fallout Three, and the storytelling was gone, and I noticed, and it might have just been at the time nostalgia glasses, and then Fallout New Vegas came out, and I was like, no, I'm I'm in this. This is good. I, I genuinely was upset at reviewers who were complaining about the bugs, and I'm like, I can live with the bugs. The bugs are fine. At the time, New Vegas got a lot, of, got a bit of a bad rap, didn't it, because of like its short development cycle and stuff. But then, after t- over amount of time, it's sort of yeah, no, actually, this is better than what Bethesda was actually offering, and like it was, it was closer to the original feel of the original two games and like it was just it was better written it's it's amazing what they came i think it was they only they it was about 12 months or something or 18 i think it was 18 months of really short 18 months on a game that normally should have a 36 month development cycle so what they managed to achieve in that like compressed amount of time is pretty impressive it's going to be buggy but they did what they could and they they did remarkably well um um uh, and considering what like, the game Brio engine was was really creaky at the time as well. Anyway, so what they managed to pull off with it was quite n- not not a mean feat, but it was, it was considered the run to the litter at the time, wasn't it? Um, by a lot by a lot of people, but like it's sort of become reevaluated as like probably the best best of the three D ones that have come out. Anyway, four. I wasn't keen on four. I played four. Um, there were some neat ideas, but. Um, the, the the term uh, ocean of content that's a fingertip deep is entirely accurate for what four was. It's an ocean of things, but it's very shallow. Yeah, yeah. That there's the 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 distinctive lack of of real challenge and consequence was there. Um, the introduction of assen- the reintroduction of essential NPCs drove me to no end annoyed. And, and yeah, the radiant system, yeah. And then and then the radiant system, I'm like, this doesn't belong in a Fallout game because every single quest I do should have like some moral uh and or and or ethical question that I have to answer about myself. And none of these do. Well what's the point? If it was a fine game for what it was, but like again, it, it, it they took a lot of the you couldn't really play like a speech build character like you could in the previous games. Like you could basically talk your way out of everything in previous games if you wanted to play that sort of way. But it's sort of with four, they 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 streamlined everything a bit too much, and like as you say, it was a bit of a shallow game to play at the end of the day. It it was fine for what it was, but it just wasn't. Just certainly didn't feel right, and with with four, the biggest issue I had with that was it was sort of I just didn't care about the story, like the main story where like you got your child taken away from you and you get frozen in the uh fro- frozen and then then you reawaken like several hundred years into the future, but like I just didn't care. I basically the main story was to try and find you, you find your baby, and I just went in the complete opposite direction. I just didn't. <laughs> it was like story whiplash i suppose but it was sort of it's sort of a weird disconnect i had with it um um i was legitimately so upset um that they tried to pull the the your son is now older than you thing um because i predicted it 10 minutes into the game 10 minutes into into actually going and looking for sean 
I was like, if they, if they pull this, I'm going to be so mad. I was so mad that on the spot, I this was on day one, so they hadn't actually patched this yet because they didn't expect anybody to do this. On the spot, I pulled out a mini nuke launcher and blew, and blew him up. All, all the all the the, the uh, vault tech guy, the 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 very very. No, I blew up Sean on the spot. Oh, sorry, Sean. Okay. <laughs> and they hadn't patched okay. this yet to anticipate <laughs> that players would do that. So the entire oh, institute funny. didn't react. Broke the game. So we spent thirty minutes like trying to creep our way out the front door, expecting like, 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 te- like assault teams and everything to come crash. Nothing reacted, and we just walked out the front door eventually. And I'm like, it just works. Why am I alive? <laughs> you bro- you completely broke the game's lock. Are you surprised? It is a Bethesda game after all bugs are plenty you know you can even several years after release you can still find all sorts of bugs in their titles but that's another gripe i have um it's sort of shoddily made a lot of the time they're sort of i don't know it doesn't it doesn't doesn't bode well for elder scroll 6 or whatever you're going to call it um it doesn't bode well for anything they make anymore i mean they made fallout 76 and all fallout 76 is I mean, all, all all it was when it came out was, it was all the bad part. It was all the bad parts and the tedious parts of Fallout Four. If you like gathering materials and just getting and just getting better weapons and getting stronger, it works. But if you came here for a Fallout story, you're going to be really disappointed. And one of my biggest, absolute biggest gripes uh, with Seventy Six is that they made the Enclave a legitimate faction that you could choose. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't be encouraging and rewarding players for choosing genocidal, uh, you know, actual genocidal fascists as a faction. I mean, I get that it's something players should do, but you should make that a moral choice that they have to justify, not, and, you know, just make them openly acknowledge, yeah, you're being a fascist, but you're okay with this. And not what they not not where you get the same rewards as if you pick the Brotherhood of Steel, which isn't much better, or uh, whatever the other option is. So, what what would you say was the best? Would you did you prefer three or did you prefer New Vegas out of those two? Uh, New Vegas is definitely the better the better choice here. It, it's 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 the better of the of the three uh, of of the three uh, fully fledged out uh 3d games but by far the best fallout game to me is still fallout 2 because all they did was take everything that happened in fallout 1 increment on it and yeah the first hour sucks um after that though the game lets you go where you want do what you want and you can technically finish the game i think the fastest speed run is like 19 minutes oh oh, there's loads of speed runs i love watching speed runs good fun good fun and I've seen a bunch of people making mods for Fallout 2, and I'm like, why are you... Never mind, you know what, I'm okay with this. Was was that the one where you had like 100 days to get the water chip, or was that the first one? That was the first one. The second one, you don't actually have a real timer to start with. Because I, I'm not keen on in-game timers. Like that's, They stress me out to no end. That's why I probably wasn't keen in picking it up. But um, are, are, do you think they're worth playing these days? One and two? Uh, they are, um, if you can get your computer to run them. Uh, they are. But also, there's uh, there's certain things you can do, like the the day timer, the day limiter, 
if you really don't want to have that in Fallout 1, you can just go into the INI file and change the number of days. Oh, just we just increase it to whatever you want. Yeah, I've, I've actually seen people uh, go into the INI files and just uh, change the uh, change the uh, the number of days by just adding a digit. That work that that works fine. Um, the the game pulls uh, to determine like random events. The game pulls based on the percentage of remaining days, not the actual number. So it works perfectly fine. Uh, I don't know. Uh, even though I don't like it, the in-game timer as a principle, I suppose. Again, I probably wouldn't. I wouldn't want to mess with it. Also, because it's kind of like cheating. I suppose. I think it's cheating. I suppose, in a way. Um, but yeah. Um, th- out the th- if you were to ask me, th- three, three has like a re- like a really gritty feel to it. It was really. The really bleak uh, aesthetic to it, which I, I really enjoyed about it, but the issue we got with three is like it's it's really clunky now. And since it had like that, um, it was the games for Windows Live thing with, with on PCs. It's a bit of a it's well, they, a bit of a they, nightmare. They, yeah, they they did patch that out um, out of nowhere. No, no no one expected it. Like ten years um, later, <laughs> something stupid. Yeah, but like leave it to Bethesda. To hire a big name voice actor like L- Liam Nielsen, and only give him twenty lines and kill and oh kill oh him yeah mid- they kill, kill him, him off like, the after about an hour <laughs> yeah yeah they just I'm just like you made all that hype and then you then you just shot him in the head that's where that's where all the budget went <laughs> I think um, but yeah um, three three in New Vegas are definitely um, really really good games but you. you you probably have to mod them to get the most out of them now. Like to, you want to like fix the issues and stuff like that. But New, New Vegas has got a ton of really cool stuff you can um, do with it. It's just RPGs. I don't really have the, a lot of time to really play these massive sprawling games anymore. It's just they take, uh, you know, take far too long for me to. It may be like about five or six years ago when I had more time on my hands. But like it's a bit more daunting to play these massive titles now um that's the issue i've got anyway but as fun as they are but yeah with i don't know what they're gonna do with fallout 76 it's that that was such a disaster wasn't it like um there was the 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 the, you come across the duffel bag scandal that 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 was just one of many i really honestly think that uh Fallout needs to be taken completely out of Bethesda's hands and never give it back to them if it wanted if they wanted to make something good. Who who would you give it to then in their place to develop it? Well, I know Obsidian doesn't want to do it anymore because they basically uh, they basically said goodbye. They just came to the realization that they were never going to be able to to do what they wanted to and and left. And and how they were treated as well by Bethesda as well. They they weren't treated very well. I've heard. Um... So they pro- probably, from that respect, I would think that uh, since Microsoft owns Bethesda, um, if you were to just take a team who under who would who was willing to sit down and play, and every developer and artist and all the people who were making the games were willing to sit down and read the Fallout Bible and actually play the Fallout games and take what is good and works and get that idea of storytelling from the first two games in New Vegas. And you just make a dedicated studio that their job is just make Fallout games. It's going to take four years per game, but just go make a Fallout. Go make Fallout games. Have fun. 
And that's all they do is they make one game every four years and and you don't worry about them in the meantime. But that would be the only way that a Fallout like game would be good again is if you took it away from the major studios and just had a dedicated studio who that's all they do. May maybe. But they don't have like a churn machine or crunch time. They know they have uh forty-eight months and they Build a team who specifically specializes in good storytelling first and figuring out technology uh, as a as as the second part. I I'm just th- I'm just thinking off the top. I can't think of who would pull it off effectively. I'm personally I'm not I'm not too fussed about the. I don't mind studios trying something new. It's just the execution was so shoddy with Fallout seventy six. They just they completely phoned it in. It was. Wasn't fi- it clearly? It's not finished now. It, they released it in such a terrible state, and well, I did a video on everything I would fix and how I would change it and everything. And then somebody came in and said and, and tried to and tried to paint me as defending Fallout seventy six. And I'm like, dude, you didn't even watch my video. Less than a minute in, I literally sit there and go, "This is a terrible, awful game that has an absolute ton of bugs, and this is everything. And we're going to go over everything that needs to happen to fix it." <laughs> That's that's a massive list, I think. <laughs> and but like I was accused of defending Fallout seventy six. No, I trashed it for two hours. They clearly didn't watch the video, then, did they? <laughs> it is, uh, but um, I don't. If, with 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 Beh- with Bethesda at the helm, I can't see because um, they they squandered a lot of the goodwill. They used to have a lot of goodwill, of course, like when Skyrim was new and stuff back in 2011. Like, and um, it had problems, but like it was such a um, it's it, it's a good game. Uh, but like over time, it's people got sick and tired of Bethesda releasing like games that were clearly not finished or not functioning properly, and I think people just getting tired of the same excuses and. Fallout 76 was how they handled it. Not just the game itself, but all the promotions they did. Uh, the duffel bag thing, as I didn't really explain. The they did they tried to do a promotion where like they originally promised this really expensive limited edition thing, where like but they cheaped out materials. <laughs> and then canvas, yes, was in short. So I'm sorry. No, no, I that, can, that, that's a complete I, I, I lie. I can go down to Hobby Lobby and get an entire 50 foot by 10 foot, or for people who want to use a metric system, roughly a eight and a half meter by three and a half meter roll of canvas. When it was it was horseshit. It was horseshit. But you, you, a lot of people called them out for it. You know, it's. You're just basically just cheaping out. You're saying it was going to be canvas, and then you cheaped out and made it really cheap nylon. Then they backtracked on that. They did actually make some nylon ones in the end. After was it like a lawsuit or something. They it was they a lawsuit. They had they ended up losing a bunch of money. Um, there was also uh, the fact that the uh, power armor helmets, which were designed to be worn, so it was like a free cosplay piece, uh, had a problem with human sweat that would cause black mold. Oh, great. That's good. <laughs> so you designed these to be worn, and then... then they, were, they, were, for, they were unsafe, for, pretty much. For things like oil or sweat from human bodies. Good job! 
Well done, Bethesda. Well done. It, oh, um, the, the, the closest yeah. Bethesda's gotten to like good storytelling recently was like Prey. And that was not even the same Prey that the IP was bought under. It was a completely redone version. And that's like the closest they've gotten to decent storytelling since forever. Did they make that? I thought Arcane made uh, the. That they prank. made that, but they published the Arcane made it, but they published it. All oh, right, okay, yeah, fair. Enough. That's probably what Arcane probably had a bigger influence than Bethesda did narrative wise. And then you notice, um, Ar- Ar- Arcane Studios is still open. Um, what have they made? Uh, uh, Reese, Reese, Deathloop's the most recent one, I think. They made. Yeah, they they made like Deathloop. And I think that's kind uh, of and the Dishonored. The, the, did they make the Dishonored games one and two? For, for, yeah, they made Dishonored before that. But I'm like, what did they make after uh, that? And the only thing I could oh, think of is I can only think of Deathloop. That's the only one I could think of. Yeah, Deathloop is the only game they've made since Prey. And I'm like, um, guys, why didn't you make more with Prey? You you made enough money. Why didn't you just lean into it because you actually told a good story it actually made us make some pretty heavy moral decisions yeah they developed it but like bethesda called all called the final shots i guess it was one of them where they didn't really have full control over it i think yeah and they made one dlc called moon crash and that was supposed to be pretty good the moon crash dlc i've heard yeah it is It, it legitimately is but I mean, I, d- I don't understand the, the strategy here. Or lack thereof, I should say. Yeah, lack thereof. Um, pretty, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? So I, I, don't, I don't know what they're going to do with the next Fallout game, but like they, if Bethesda are making it, they're really going to have to... I have zero... The, they're going to have to pull do. the finger out, whatever they're going to do, like, and uh, stop churning out the churning out stuff that isn't finished that's my main criticism of them i think i'm not the, i'm not the only one yeah i i have i have no i have no faith in them and especially when they're when they're when somebody said after starfield and elder scrolls 6 there'll be another fallout game and i'm like yeah when's that like 2030 why are you announcing this now because they've got nothing else <laughs> they've got nothing else they're too busy re-releasing Skyrim for like the eighteenth billionth time. Um, I think that's what that's their current business model at the moment. Um, but uh, it's it's not great, is it? Um, so we'll we'll just have to see. Like um, if if Bethesda and Todd Howard manage to pull the finger out, we'll just have to see, won't we? But um, doesn't bode well for that. Um, but but anyway, that's um. Away from like the uh, rather disappointing like, recent games, let's talk about um, Fallout Equestria, Equestria. Then I should say, um, so probably one of the most prolific fan projects within MLP. I think, at least in recent memory, anyway. How did you become involved with that? The one of the people at Trotcon in 2017, his name is Moonhoof. Uh, he runs a studio called Dead Tree Studios, hence the name Dead Tree. Um, or he he's one of the 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 people who run it he uh asked me uh if i wanted to maybe stream uh fallout uh 
later he asked he asked me this he asked me again if i wanted to stream fallout equestria at the last nightmare nights in 2017 and i said okay sure let's do it so i said i came down to the game room played the game had a blast and said all right we'll start a game but i'll have to create some conditions for starting that game and on november 3rd we started the game two weeks later my audience uh basically i i made a challenge that i didn't that i honestly didn't think they'd meet and that was i said fine if the stream tip goal says a thousand dollars tonight, I will agree to write this to start writing this as a book. Twenty minutes later, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. Quite a quite a big undertaking <laughs> from the get go. It has been. I I want to say I've I know I've made negative money on it. Oh, I I had went into this project not ever expecting to make a dime. Um, and KCAP made it very clear that no matter what I did, I couldn't, you know, make a profit. I had to reinvest all money back into the project or donate it to charity. And I still can't say I've made a profit on it because I keep reinvesting into the project, into the project instead until it stops perpetuating itself. But at this point, I've published three books as a series. I'm working on what will hopefully be the last one for this, and I can... Uh, move on to a new book series that I started um, just before I got COVID, and now I'm trying to get back into and into getting time to sit down and write and actually properly do everything now that I'm recovering. Um, because before I was having to sleep like 10, 11 hours a day since uh, I got COVID in May, um, was deplaned at LAX because I was severely sick on the way home from a convention and uh they put me in the hospital because my immune system had put a hole in my heart you had a quite a nasty ver uh, variant of that by the sounds of it or variation i should say uh no it just uh it, it got into my lower uh cardiovascular system and my immune system attacked the infected tissue as your immune system is prone to do <sighs> um the infected tissue in this case being a piece of my heart and uh yeah, the doctors uh, put an injection of uh, well, it's California, so they can do this. Uh, they put an injection of stem cells into my in, into me uh, to to help repair my heart, and then uh, told me uh, I would need around uh, fourteen to sixteen weeks of physical therapy to recover, and I shouldn't start said physical therapy until I was going to be willing to spend six uh, six to eight weeks at someone else's house. So that someone could actively monitor and make sure that I didn't give myself a heart attack. So that's fun. That's rough. I'm vaccinated too. So if I was unvaccinated, I'd probably be dead. It's no joke, COVID. I've I don't know whether I've talked about it before in my, in terms of my circumstances, but I'll, I'll I'll go over it anyway, if in case I have or haven't. Um, I've had it twice. I had it before my age group was up. Uh, was allowed to take the first vaccine mm -hmm. um it was uh, so you've got um th there's different ones there's, i think there's, there's pfizer you've got moderna and a few other ones johnson and johnson's another one uh but i i, I had the um both times i had the pfizer jab supposedly it's one of the better ones i don't really know the, the full ins and outs of it but annoyingly i had covid before my age group was allowed to have the first vaccine so that was early 2021 before they were rolling it out for my age group uh, under 30s at the time i'm over 30 now uh but um so i was it was it 
it was it was really so basically i had to isolate for 10 days and um a lot of the people in the in my office where i worked at the time also got it at the same time so basically a lot of us had to um work from home it was it was pretty it was pretty dreadful and my, my friend my my colleague was hospitalized with it he um he ha- he he contracted pneumonia which is fluid on the lungs and uh, which you're in trouble if you get that you have to they put you on like a ventilator thing and then uh you, uh, you have to the, the machine's basically giving you try to give you a bit of a boost but like it was literally 50-50 if he was going to um survive it thankfully thank god he did if people listen to this out there it's a very political issue of course like whether you want to take the vaccine or not all i'm going to all i'm going to say is you better hope you don't get it i, th- I think you probably statistically you're probably going to get it eventually if are you prepared to throw the dice on that front and even if you i took the vaccine and i got it again <laughs> I, I got i got covid again after having the second vaccine it was a it, it was uh, quite mild but um still don't want it and like having to isolate again so it's it's not great so especially if you have like a really horrendous version of it that can put you in hospital and like completely well literally kill you so it's um uh but you had a by the sounds of it you had a much worse version than i had both times so um thankfully you've survived it but you're still the repercussions of that you're still feeling that you're having to go through this quite intensive rehabil- re- put my teeth in rehabilitation program that your doctors have told you you must adhere to to mm-hmm. get back to at least a, a reasonable standard as you was before at least that's the that's the hope anyway that's the hope yeah so uh, that's the that's a little covid segue folks but uh yeah that, <laughs> that's the genuine truth with two people who've had it if I would recommend taking the vaccines, if if they're available, uh, take take them. There, there's going to be a few side effects. I, I I had a few. I had like headaches and stuff after the taking the jabs, but um, no, nothing nothing too nothing too bad. But like at least like the idea is supposed to take the edge off it if you do get COVID. And but I don't know whether they're going to do like a a fourth, a third, or fourth. I don't really know what the what the plan is with that, but. We shall see. That that's uh, getting a little bit off the sidetracked here. So Fallout Equestria then. So we. So how long did it take you to write? Let's go with the first novel. How long did it take you to to come come up with it with at least the first draft of your first book? First draft of first book. I want to emphasize everybody writes at different speeds, and I am not the fastest. Uh, I started the first book in officially publishing it on december 1st 2017 it was not ready until the 26th of june 2018 and it was not published until october 30th there's there's this disconnect that people think that once you write a manuscript that's it it's ready to go no no not even close no it's not (laughs) book printers don't understand text documents um they actually print off of pdfs okay yeah um so not only that your book size dictates everything else about it um the standard book size is uh, the standard american book size is what's called american trade size it's actually a 
nine and a half inch tall by a six inch wide book. That's a standard hard novel in the United States. In Europe, a standard hard novel is seven and a half inches tall by five and a half inches wide. Yes, books are measured in inches and there is no metric system to work with them. It gets worse. Book pages are measured in their own measurement called pictas. Right. A picta is a 15-point font straight line, roughly 15 pixels. So, yeah, um, you have to convert your manuscript into that. You have to add page numbers. You have to review the manuscript to make sure the program hasn't cut anything off or done anything super weird. And then you have to add pictures into the program and respace everything according to where you add the pictures. If you're using color pictures, I use full color pictures in all of my novels um, and my artists get royalties for their work. So there's that. And then for absolute spite purposes, once you've done all of this, you're still not done. You have to pay for a uh, author copy that's sent to you that's not in sellable condition that you're going to read and review your own work to make sure that everything's there before you start the mass print. And spell check it and all that. Spell check, make sure nothing gets cut off from the printer, make sure the picture, if you're using pictures in the text, make sure the pictures are all in the right place, all the page numbers are there, the page numbers are in the correct order. All the all the formatting and everything, yeah. Uh, 48-hour books actually sends you a 40-point list of things you have to do before you approve something for print. Then you have to go buy what's called an ISBN code. Oh, Internet Serial Book Number. I think that's correct. That's right, isn't it? International Serial Book Number. Yes, you almost said it right. Every book has one of these. The barcode on the back can be scanned anywhere in the world and identify that book. All right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You have to buy the barcode. You have to buy the number. And every number only corresponds to one type of book. There's a different ISBN for a book done in paperback, the same book done in hardback, the same book done in, in a large size, the same book done as a Kindle book. It's a different ISBN code for every one of them. And, and does, does it also go into genre? Is it like divided by genre, or is that a separate thing I'm thinking of? Uh, ISBN codes are divided by genre, yes. You will get a when you submit for your ISBN codes. You will get a different ISBN code if you're writing fiction than nonfiction. A different ISBN code if you're writing sci-fi, romance, action, uh, children's books. They all have a different set of numbers that they use. And then once you've done all that, uh, and you order, you're you're ready to order. It costs money. A hundred and twenty-five copies is the ideal amount I want to print because forty-eight hour books gives me twenty-five free books. If I order a hundred or more, a hundred copies of my book two costs $3,800 plus shipping, not counting what I had to pay my editors, what I had to pay my artists, what I had to pay for all the formatting. None of that. That's literally just the print cost. All out of your own pocket. All out of my own pocket. And then once I get that first shipment of books, the first two books are not mine. I can't sell them. One copy has to be shipped to the Library of Congress. Oh, I didn't know that. By law, any physically copied book that is copyrighted must have 
a copy issued to the Library of Congress for copyright verification. Wow, I didn't know that. Even, even like for really small publications uh, sm smaller publications like magazines or newspapers can submit an electronic version you can technically pay extra to submit an electronic version um of a book but it's cheaper just to mail them a copy of your book wow i didn't know that that also oh, so, so you've there, there is a copy in the library of congress of your book that's pretty cool to know that there is cool. a copy of each of my books in the library of congress under the same copyright i have to make a second copyright for book four and any other books that i do on fallout equestria because i only when you make your copyright you have to absolutely be certain how many books you're doing i thought i was doing three uh because you cannot edit it later to add more books under that same copyright number you have to make a whole new one. Oh, oh my that's so much stuff to think of think about in advance so and to illustrate this uh, an isbn code costs about eight dollars per code okay yeah the QR, the QR scan, uh, or the barcode that goes with that costs $50 per code. The copyright costs $120 to submit and may cost an additional $40 for verification. The physical copy of the book costs however much it costs to print, and you have to ship it. Thankfully, shipments to the Library of Congress are paid for for free through the U.S. Postal System. You just have to walk in with a label with a printed label from the library of congress slapped on it slapped on a uh on a shipping envelope with the book inside and go and it goes it doesn't cost you anything uh shipping books to individual people in the in the united states domestically can be done through a system called media mail which is for books films uh any form of of viewable media that is widely distributed so books films uh, you can technically do it for video games whereby the shipping rate is not based on distance or what type of packaging it's in or how big the package is it's based solely on weight and it's something like uh uh eight cents per pound so i can go ship a copy of my books for around or no it's like 80 cents a pound i can go ship a copy of my books anywhere in the u.s for around four dollars after insurance plus the cost of the materials to pack them that's that's a, that's a lot to think about like eat all the extra tertiary things that you have to do to get a book published that sounds like an absolute yeah and if if you want to hear logistically i'm an independent publisher which means my publisher which means i don't have a publisher that takes a chunk uh but like a single copy of uh, one of my books, like if you order a full novel of book one, it costs uh, $45. Out of that $45, after all of the expense it was to make and paying my artists, I get $2.06. A tiny, tiny margin compared. And that $2.06, based on the agreement I have with KCAT, the original creator of Fallout Equestria, has to be reinvested into the project or donated to charity so in reality any books i sell i make zero dollars i don't get to keep any of that money all that all selling books does is let me make more books or pay for, or, or or pay voice actors for the audiobooks we're doing so it's it's basically just a labor of love to you like for yourself basically this series is a labor of love yes entirely and it and it's let me do some really funny things um after the uh, after after the the court case and copyright issues, uh, I took a copy of my first book and mailed it to the desk of Todd Howard. <laughs> okay, <laughs> with a sticky note attached to it that says, "I wrote a better Fallout Four with ponies." 
he was not a he was not amused. His lawyer sent a uh, sent a sent a, a letter basically informing me that I am being told to cease and desist ever contacting Todd Howard ever again. <laughs> so if in the event by some weird coincidence the two of us ever ended up on a stage together, I'd have to sit there and go. Am I allowed to violate your lawyer's order that says I'm not supposed to talk to you ever again? <laughs> Perish if, the thought. Because if not, oh man, I'm just going to be quiet. <laughs> you, you might want to. Um, <laughs> on that, yeah, I think that let's, let's go into this a little bit more detail then. Like, um, as of course, like it, it's it's Fallout is a uh, protected IP property, as is My Little Pony. So what? Did you ever come across, apart from the, aside from the Todd Howard thing you just revealed to me, did you have any other, did you come into, into, come into any contact with any other legal complications when when uh, trying to publish your work? There's been a few. There's been some people who have pushed back to say, like, fan fiction shouldn't be doing this because it'll get us all shut down. And I'm like, yeah, except for up until the 1980s, this was exactly what fan fiction did. We have an entire panel, like, discussing that, like, no, fan fiction is not a recent thing, and it there's these th- there's these things from like the pre uh, pre nineteen eighties that were called Tijuana Bibles, where you would just take characters and and put them in humorous artwork or 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 uh, or a story, print it, and then sell it, and it was not intended to make a ton of money or for wide distribution. Um, some of the common ones of these were of stuff like Mickey Mouse. And Disney decided they didn't like that so much that they actually wrote a bill for themselves called the Mickey Mouse Copyright Act. Um, but yeah, and how how many times they've pushed back the public domain r- rules around that? Yeah, another another topic in and of itself for this. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, this was the thing that like you would do with fan fiction is you would publish it a small scale and distribute it to your friends, never intending for it to go big scale. And you do it as an act of, of uh, an, an act in labor of love. Further, like in particular, um, the like Gen Five of My Little Pony, as of right now, um, and uh, and the recent iterations of Fallout are two good examples. Like Fallout Four and Seventy Six are not; they don't pass the uh transformative test whether or not they're transformative if you were to take them to court and are and they you could argue that they're not transformative and therefore don't pass the test required to maintain the copyright just to clarify so, so for people who might not know what what do you mean by transformative work what do you mean by that exactly when it terms to when it comes to fan fiction what, what do you mean by that okay so transform so by copyright definition Anything that is transformative is something that reimagines uh, a piece and alters it significantly enough to make itself its own piece. It's very hard to often prove this without going to court, which is why YouTube's copyright system is utterly broken. So a, a transformative in nature is taking the characters and doing something with them that completely changes the situation changes the characters and tells a different new story some examples i will give you um a non-transformative work is what's called 60 years later coming through the rye which is supposed to be 60 years later the catcher in the rye it was declared an unauthorized sequel and completely lacked its ability to be a parody or transformative in any way shape or form 
another example of a non-transformative work is called The Cat Not in the Hat, a parody by Dr. Juice, where O.J. Simpson tries to write a parody of The Cat in the Hat to prove he didn't kill anyone. Oh my god. Except for the court ruled that Dr. Seuss's art and writing style are so unique that attempting to parody them in this way is actually copyright infringement. Mm, interesting. But an, an example of a transformative work. Uh, so we've all heard about the wind, Gone with the Wind. That is the, the romanticized telling of what it was like to be an aristocrat in, in the southern states during the civil during and at the end of the civil war there's another book by a completely different author called the wind done gone which is the same story but told through the perspective of the slaves because in in, in gone with the wind everything is tragic how it's all changing and how how it's not right and, and th but on the other side of the coin the thing that's changing is slavery and um so uh, Margaret Mitchell sued Alice Randall, the respectively the writer of the Gone with the Wind versus The Wind Done Gone, and the court ruled, no, this is perfectly fine. This is transformative, and the only thing that Alice Randall has to do is put a sticker on her book that says the unauthorized parody. Here, I'm going to show you uh, an image. Um, we created this slide for a panel. For crucial context, if you want to look at the slide itself, listeners at home, if you click on the video in the show notes and skip to the 43-minute mark, it'll be right in front of you. Um, and then I'm going to go over... I know people can't see the image necessarily, but then I'm going to go over the image for you just to illustrate something to you. And I and I love sticking this point to, to this author every single time that her name is brought up. So, is Harry Potter original? No. The idea of spellcasting from magic wands originates in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen with two individuals, one who's a sorceress and one who is a wizard, both of whom cast through magic wands. Larry Potter is a story about a clumsy, destined, comical wizard boy. The Worst Witch has a variation of the game Quidditch in it. The Legend of Ra and the Muggles came out in 1974. Books of Magic. So this is a story about an English boy who goes off to boarding school who finds a hidden door that leads to the magical academy. He has a scar above his forehead from an ancient villain, and he becomes the legendary savior of the magical academy. The Secret of Platform 13. All of these books came out before Harry Potter by at least a decade. Harry Potter, if anything, is fan fiction. But yeah, no, uh, there's there's another author who parodied her uh, pretty heavily. And in doing so, uh, she threatened to sue. And he said, go ahead, then you'll have to prove that your that your work's original. And he sent something similar to what I just described about all of the different origins of her concepts to her as a part of that statement that said, go ahead and sue me. You'll have, and we'll see some if you have something original. Uh, something pressing to the fandom. Uh, this came out, I believe, in 2016, where, um, so that's fighting as magic and turned into them's fighting herds. These guys were told by Hasbro to stop working on this game. And then Lauren Faust made them all new characters that were based on the same art style so they could keep making their game. Technically, it's transformative because uh, there's a clause that came out in. Let me go double check when that was released. 
So something about copyright law that everyone should know is that an art style cannot be defined as something copyrightable, nor can the shape of something. This came out because in February in 2018, a group called Harmony Gold, who turns out doesn't actually own the copyright they say they do, uh, sued the game developer Harebrain Schemes and the game developer Piranha Games over battle mechs that were being included in the Battletech uh, strategy game and MechWarrior Online. Because way back in the 80s, when Battletech was first being written, uh, they licensed some of the things from Maycross, who Harmony Gold owns the rights to distribute outside of Japan. Turns out they don't own those rights, and the, the Japanese developer, the original Japanese owner has since ripped those away from them, but that's later. Um, but the judge ruled that, no, the shape of a robot, and therefore the shape of a character, cannot be used as definition for copyright infringement. And by the end of the court case, had thrown uh, Harmony Gold's case against the people who were making Battletech out with prejudice. This is an important distinction. When something is thrown out with prejudice, that means you have no case. You cannot appeal it. You cannot do anything about that decision unless you have a completely different case to present. And it's very important for a lot of people uh, like myself uh, to try to get a ruling with prejudice, because that means the court has found that the claim against you or the claim you are making uh, is so either far in the wrong or in the right that it's almost impossible to actually bring it back to court. So for me, it was, I know that if this ever comes up, I'm going to get sued. What if we just preempt it? So we challenged uh, Hasbro and Bethesda on the grounds that I'm making a parody. If you want to disprove me, take me to court. And they did. Okay. Um, so the reason why I started accepting pre-orders for my books in September and didn't actually, uh, or in February and didn't actually publish them until September is because of this court case. I, I'm trying to remember the exact timeline, but anyway. That was four and a half, almost five years ago. I'm getting old. So what we did was we said, okay, I'm going to spend five months in court. I ended up spending $7,000 of my own money. This is no fun. You have to, you basically go to court at least one day of every week. Uh, some days you just sit there and nothing happens. Other days you actually go into the courtroom. Uh, for a copyright case like this, where you're trying to prove parody or satire, uh, you have to uh, pay, you have a judge. You have a three lawyer counsel and you have your own lawyer. You're paying for all of that. The reason why I only spent $7,000 of my own money is because I won. If I had lost, I would be bankrupt. Was it really worth the risk? I'm just going to ask you now. Was it really worth the risk of... It's, it sounds like a huge... That was a huge gamble from what I can hear. Like To, to, to do that, what you did to... A really brave thing to do. Worst case, we just agree, okay fine, we won't publish. And we sign an agreement and we leave. That was the absolute worst case. Is if it looked like we were going to lose, we would sign an agreement, not publish, I would refund everybody and I would figure out how to pay all the bills that are racked up. Best case, we win. So I had to hire the lawyer, the neutral cross-examination lawyers who are going to question both sides, by the way. They're going to question everybody who's there. And I could not have timed this better. 
Bethesda was in the middle of a of the class action lawsuit about Fallout 76. Oh, that played into your favor, I think. <laughs> Their entire legal team was trying to put out that fire and didn't notice our subpoena for a different case. <sighs> Much less the fact we exercised our right to an expedient case or an expedient trial, meaning we said, no, we don't need months to prepare. We want to start next week. We want to start as the week after the subpoenas have arrived. That gave both companies almost no time to really review or do much. So their lawyer, so Hasbro showed up, Bethesda didn't. Hasbro's lawyer is actively having to read my book while the case is going on. <laughs> okay, interesting. Which is not a good look. Um, and further, they try. They they had. Uh, they sent the court to request an IRS audit against me. Uh, they tried. To, they tried to pull driving record, which I have one at the time i had one accident from 20 uh from 2011 where my friend was pumping gas in my car and i pulled off and they didn't take the gas pump out so all it did was break the disconnector between the the pump that was the only accident on my driving record and that's fallen off since then why were they pulling all that stuff up though for just to they were trying to find every way possible to discredit my character first and foremost if I look like a non-credible figure standing in the courtroom, I'm going to have a lot of trouble proving to those lawyers and that judge that I am that I am worth that I am doing the right thing. So it was that, that it was a uh, rental and housing records, it was utility records, my bank overdraft records got subpoenaed, you name it, they tried to find information about it on me and they were actively trying to throw this in my face. Um but also at the end of it, uh, when things looked very much like Hasbro knew they were going to lose, they signed a deal. Um, basically, Hasbro would have to pay my legal fees and the court fee- and most of the court fees. In exchange, they would not touch Fallout Equestria and they would not touch anything in the fandom for 10 years. In exchange from my side, I had to agree that my novels on Fallout Equestria were public access works. That means that if somebody wants to come, and I'm going to use a rather crude example, uh, and draw my characters with a million dicks put in them, I have to just accept it. Right, okay. There's been some like NSFW stuff show up of my characters. There's been some fan art of my characters that's not, you know, savvy or tasteful show up. And I'm like, whatever, it's in the wild. It's not my place to, to police it anymore. But in reality, it's because my copyright's public access. Uh, Bethesda never showed up to court. Uh, Hasbro has lost the ability to appeal as of February of this year. Bethesda will lose the ability to appeal as of February of next year. Wow. So it's there. Uh, what was ruled is because I am taking the care. What was ruled is my work is transformative because I'm taking the uh, story presented in my little pony friendship is magic and taking the logic of friendship to its extremes along with technological advancement that is clearly happening in the show. Um, by that point, I have seven seasons of the show to go off of, so whoop de doo um, So by taking all of the things like loyalty taken to an extreme can be dangerous. Kindness taken to an extreme can be dangerous. Uh, generosity to an extreme can result in Armageddon. And then the reverse of this was I was turning fallout on its head by removing the PTSD and paranoia elements that are based in fallout based in everything being drab and ugly 
and replacing it with the logic of My Little Pony, whereby anything colorful is dangerous. In Fallout games, colorful things are not dangerous. It's the drab and the dreary backdrop and the things that exist within that drab and dreary backdrop that are they themselves drab and dreary that are dangerous. Where in Fallout Equestria, you have a drab, dreary backdrop, but anytime that there's rainbows or or bright bursts of color, that's the thing that's going to kill you. (laughs) Okay. But it was further ruled that I was not actually making a satire parody of Fallout 4. I was making a parody of older Fallouts, Fallout 1 through 3 to be exact. And therefore, I have to declare what I am a parody of is Fallout 1, 2, and 3, not Fallout 4 or New Vegas or uh, 70 or anything past that point. And that's the technicality. Like, you, legally, you have to state that 1, 2, and 3. Legally, you have to state that. Um, and and so uh, a lot of how copyright works is we hear this term on YouTube thrown around a lot called fair use. Yeah. Uh, fair use, however, is not a blanket term that protects you. It is actually the hardest thing in the world to prove. Um, the first thing that always comes to mind is whether this is a commercial or a nonprofit enterprise. Uh, if it's nonprofit, it's more likely to be considered fair use. Second, it's how the copyrighted work is used. If you're using the copyrighted work verbatim with no modifications, that's a problem. If you're using the copyrighted work with commentary, if you're using the copyrighted work reinterpreted or spliced with footage from other things to make a piece of comedy, that's that's more that's more usable, as well as its relationship to the work as a whole. Um, Is this, in fact, going to be, say, free advertising for that work? Is it going to be useful uh, for that work as a whole or is it going to be directly harmful to that work? And lastly, the thing that's looked at for fair use is effect on the potential market. So like Hasbro, one of the reasons we want our case is Hasbro markets to ages 13 and under. My book is marketed to ages 17 and older. Completely different demographics. Ah. We don't have a demographic crossover at all. If anything, I'm going to encourage older people to buy toys for younger people from this. So I'm counted as not only being a form of free advertising, but also the fact that the demographic I'm targeting is not the demographic they're targeting. Um, so that was also very important. Um, one of the and the last thing I'll leave off with is one of the cases we quoted is uh, called Campbell versus uh, A. Cuff Rose Music, and that is to say, at least in part, comments of the author's work, if on the commentary of the original work, has no critical bearing or substance to the original composition and would never exist within the original composition in any facet, thirdly making its extent to commerciality larger and better and away from the demographic that was targeted by the original work. That is from a Supreme Court case from 1994. That was one of the cases we cited where we're saying, basically, you're never going to put a gun in My Little Pony. And the first thing I, one of the first things I do is I put a gun in my character's hand. Yeah or hoof in this case. You're never going to do that. You're never going to have an explosion that kills someone in My Little Pony. You're never going to have the background be drab grays, browns, and blacks. You're just never going to do it. Prove us wrong. So your work is the complete contrast opposite to what the main show is about. That is what was part of your basis of your argument. Yes. Um, 
and another example, and I'll be able to show you this. I'm not sure if your viewers will see this. Um, my friend who helped me make this panel, uh, his name is uh, Chocolate Pony. He's another community guest of uh, for My Little Pony and the furry fandom. So his comic has these characters, and this is the other way around copyright. It's called Scratching the Barcodes Off. Right. He writes and publishes a comic based on these characters, and anything that he can, he scratches the barcodes off. So he helped me. Uh, he he did a lot of the the background work for this panel, um, and I did some of the uh, the extra note taking and, and tiny detail work. But most of it's him. I'm going to be honest. I'm there as someone with experience of going through the court system. He's there with all the knowledge base and capability and everything. But uh, a, a very fun example for him is he refers to Equestria in his comics as Horseland. <laughs> okay. So it, you're just scratching the barcodes off. You're renaming stuff. You're changing the color palette. You're altering the character design slightly, and you're giving them a different basis. It's still the same art style. It's still the same, more or less the same world. It's just done differently. Like his version of Discord is the thing I would expect out of an Elder Tor nightmare. So yeah, with like eyes all over his body and the ability to to just stop emitting colors and the fact that he's a even more crude and crass individual who has more doubts about anyone else's intentions with his brain slightly being exposed all the time to, to open air. So yeah, um, it's just, it's, that's one of the ways you can work around copyright is scratch off the barcodes and make sure that the characters are dissimilar enough that they can easily be recognized as something that's not from the original work. How Pony Fantasia gets away with what they do. Str scratching the barcode off. That's the term that's used. Ah, interesting. That that was, it's just, that, that must have been quite a nerve-wracking experience going through the court system and like knowing potentially that you could have, thankfully you did win, but you, you, you potentially could have lost and you could have been in the hole for thousands and thousands of dollars. That would have probably finished you off. Sure. Um, that's true. I But I looked at it as, if I don't roll the dice now, I'll never roll the dice on this, and I will regret it for the rest of my life that I didn't take the shot. That's such a, a very brave thing to do. Not, not many people would have actually gone put themselves through that just to... I, I and, and admittedly, like some people have told me I have stirred the pot in a way that they don't like. Example, um, Somber doesn't like that I went through a publication this way. He, he really doesn't like that I tried to make it all legal. But yeah, he's been very vocal about towards me about that. But he hasn't been vocal about it in a way that I'm upset at him necessarily. I just think that maybe, you know, let it play out. Um, but yeah, I, I was also looking into stuff like uh, publishing on or, or putting books on Amazon, but Amazon wants me to send like four cases of books. That's 80 books with no compensation until they sell. And I'm like, no, I'm a small independent author. I can't afford to send you the vast majority of a single book printing with no compensation until they sell and you taking a cut of that compensation. That's crazy. And you're not making, you're not making any money off the, off the project anyway. On top of that, like their actual like policy, like this Amazon is a horrible company. Please, if you can order it from someone else, order it from someone else. But like in their clause for their like, for their like book authors and stuff and stuff like that 
they basically state that once you ship them the books, they're not responsible for them. If they lose them or they get damaged or destroyed, they owe you nothing. How's that work? <laughs> that don't seem right to me. And you have to sign this agreement. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm good. So, um, uh, where, where where can people uh, purchase your uh, book? Is it still available, by the way, like in a hardback or a paperback copy, or have you got to do another um, print run of these? I have some on my hand on hand right now. I don't have a ton. Uh, I have to do another full print run, which I'm trying to get enough money to do another full print run of books one and two. Uh, for, for for context, folks, sorry. Um, I'll, uh, what I'll do, uh, if uh, I'll, I'll do uh, links to where you can per- people can purchase the book as well. So um, I'll do that in the in the show notes. I, I sell my books on my own website, um, and I sell them at my little pony conventions I'm present at. Uh, right now, I am running low on them because uh, getting sick with COVID cost me a ton of money. Uh, I was in the emergency room for four days, basically. Um, that was not fun. So I had to, and and until I was confirmed to have COVID, all expenses inquired from from me for treatment were uh, were on my head. Despite the fact that CVS, uh, the test I'd done at CVS the day before was positive, the test I had to pay eighty dollars for at the uh, urgent care was positive. The hospital still had to do their own test, and they have to pay for that as well. So until that test came back positive, I was responsible for all expenses. Once that test came back as positive, the California government became responsible for the all, all expenses past that point. But yeah, um, and me being, you know, I'm going to go ahead and tell you right now. Um, if you're an independent content, content creator in the United States, we don't have health insurance. We don't have Medicare or Medicaid. No national health service either. You have to pay for pretty much everything. Yeah, Um and when I say we don't have health insurance, we don't. Uh, we make too. We usually make. I personally make too much money to get government assistance, and not enough money to uh, actually pay for it. And when you have things against you, like your heart stopped at least once, your health insurance premium triples overnight. It's basically a statement of if you if you die for a little bit, stay dead because if you come back, you're never going to be able to afford it. That's kind of the truth in the U.S. I'm. No, I'm getting just a little political, but yeah, uh, we don't have, but in short, I don't have health insurance and can't get it. So you have to pay for everything up front for diagnosis and treatment. I have to pay for everything up front or I'm going to get a bill on the back end that is obscenely large. Uh, so yeah, I've just now got to the point where I've got my, uh, where I have the amount of money in my personal account I had before. Um, before I got COVID, and now I'm trying to rebuild my company's operating budget so I can stop taking money out of my personal account to keep to fund my uh, to fund all of my content creation projects. So a, a really expensive venture all around, then not good. I just have to to keep working at stuff. Uh, this is one of the reasons why I'm willing to do like small scale interviews and and podcasts and stuff like this is because like. Uh, I'm going to tell everybody now, if you make any work, you're your own best advocate. If, even if people get annoyed at you for advertising, you sh- if someone goes, you advertise too much, you should look at them and go, who's going to advertise for me? Are you going to do it? And if the answer is no, then... nobody, that's, you, that's the hustle, isn't it? You've got, you've got to promote yourself as best you can. And I will do my absolute best. Um, I'll do what I can to promote, uh, 
your way. So uh, you've got um, www.furiorothetankgirl.com forward slash shop if you want to check out all the uh, goods available, including the book, the Dead Tree series of books. So uh, please do check that out. I will be checking that out myself as well later on after the show. And uh, where, where can people check out your stuff? You're, you're mainly based on YouTube or you're mainly based on Twitch uh, for your regular content? Um, day-to-day, day-to-day is Twitch. Uh, day-to-day is Twitch. Uh, basically, uh, I stream almost every single day. I don't really get a day off. Uh, and then YouTube, uh, we have two separate channels. One is strictly for the Pony audiobook stuff. Uh, that's called Shotgun Angel Productions. That's an actual company. I had to go file for an actual company and get all that taken care of. Uh, and then the other place where I publish my personal work is over on my own YouTube channel. Uh, if you t- At this point, if you type in my name, F-I-A-U-R-A, just that, I'm the first thing that comes up on Google. I've, I've gotten to that point. If you're not strictly interested in pony stuff, over on my main YouTube channel, I'm currently doing uh, my I, I I was in a very religious household when I was young. Um, at 16, my dad tried to literally kill me. Uh, and that's the first time my heart ended up stopping. Uh, but to shorten that a little further, I was not allowed to play Pokemon. Oh, yes. Yeah. When our parent went, when, when my dad and stepmother found out we had Pokemon cards, they made us take them outside and burn them. Oh, man. So I played my very first Pokemon game in April, and we decided that I would keep playing them. So I actually started a what's called a Nuzlocke Genlock, whereby uh, the Nuzlocke part turns it into kind of a more hardcore game because when a Pokemon faints, it's dead. Like, like Iron Man mode, I think, isn't it? Yeah. You have to name all of them. You can't just have a Cyndaquil. It has to be, oh, that's Josh. Um and you have to say their name every time that you take them out of the Pokeball to to fight or walk around with. Oh, so you get emotionally attached to them. So you're emotionally attached to them. I've never, I've never, I've I've never done a Nuzlocke m- myself before, but I've seen quite a few people play them. They're brutal. You're usually not allowed to use items on the Pokemon in battle. I actually have a long set of rules for this. Um, and the Genlock part means that I can't catch Pokemon I have ever previously caught. So <laughs> the more games we get into. The harder and harder it becomes to make a team because I can't use like a lot of the Pokemon I caught before. I gotta catch something else. Uh, Which one are you doing the Nuzlocke on? Is it one of the originals or one of the later uh, Pokemon? So far, games? we've done Nuzlocke on Yellow. Oh, good choice. Good choice. Crystal. Never played that one. Emerald, and 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 right now we are working on Platinum. And this is the first time I've yeah, actually I'm actually I've gone from emulator. I'm using an actual 3ds. Um, with uh with an actual car- cartridge of platinum that i'm playing on and i do have cartridges for black and x and ultra moon or ultra sun that i will be playing on that actual uh on the actual 3ds before we move to a switch and then i can play shield and the goal is to finish this long arduous journey before scarlet and violet come out so i can start there uh the other major thing i'm working on that isn't pony related is a novel and tabletop game called here there be dragons um it's basically the idea of humans don't exist anymore you're playing their creations which happen to be uh clones and robots based on animals so it's kind of furry based in a science fiction setting where they've colonized the solar system 
Oh, okay. Um, but as far as pony stuff goes, uh, I'm finishing the fourth book of Dead Tree. Uh, hopefully by Everfree Northwest, we will have the full audiobook for Dead Tree Chapter 13 ready to go. Our audiobook is not a single person reading. Um, we have a narrator, and then every single character is voice acted by a different person. <sighs> that's, amb- that's ambitious. Uh, it's it's the same kind of audiobook, but like if you have a copy of the audiobook of Where the Red Fern Grows, it's done the same way. Any audiobook done before uh, before the internet was done that way. And then companies figured it would be cheaper just to have one person read and a, maybe a couple of other people come in occasionally to do a voiceover. Uh, we have 44 voice actors, including two from the My Little Pony show and uh, another voice actor who's quite uh, prevalent. Called, his name is uh, George Ledix, who's an independent voice actor who works on a lot of video games. He's also done narration work for National Geographic History Channel and Public Broadcasting Service. So he's he's a real big voice acting veteran, uh, and we're doing this as a full production. And the last thing we're working on, uh, we have animations coming out. We have another song that's about done. And then we have a series that we try to produce as much as possible. It's supposed to be a weekly series with Jasper Pie, Dusty Cat, and Inky. That's called News from the Bunker. Think Fallout Equestria meets uh, Tales from Nightville. Um, so that's what we're doing there. And that's all the projects I'm working on. Like, I work every day. <laughs> I'm not even. You've you, you've got a lot of irons in the fire. Um, <laughs> a lot. I I have a laptop. I get on a plane. I'm working. Uh, while I'm on the plane, uh, sometimes my editor gets like a whole chapter from me while I'm flying home. I land and I go, "Here's your chapter," and he's like, "Uh, I'm in the middle of something. Cool. You it can wait. No one's expecting this." Uh, then he goes, "Fee, you wrote thirty thousand words. This is two chapters." Whoops. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we, we, I, I have a lot of stuff I'm doing and again, I'm, I'm working some point I'm working so much that I actually work, uh, 10 and 12 hour days, multiple weeks in a row without a day off. I just hope that you're not burning the candle at both ends at least too much. Cause that, that's a lot of, that's a lot to, a lot of stuff to manage and maintain and up, up, up do all that at the same time. That's a lot uh, on the go. My lovely wife does make sure that i sleep eight hours a day that i take small breaks between what i'm doing so like for instance i'm doing this interview now uh i'm not gonna stream till later tonight so there'll be a break in between where i'm not gonna do any work and then i'll stream i'll sit i'll eat dinner watch some videos kind of relax for a little bit let myself kind of veg out and then i'll go do some writing but uh, my lovely wife and my close friends make sure I'm sleeping, make sure I eat, make sure that <laughs> make sure I'm taking care of myself because they know I I'll forget. You you just but you just oh, you burn yourself out otherwise. That, that's it's it's a good it's really good to have a a good support network around you. And if if you've got it, <laughs> take advantage of it. That's definitely a good thing to do. Yeah, but. But yeah, that 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 is, that is a lot. That is a lot of stuff uh, that you've got going on there. But we've been recording for just over two hours, so I'm not going to keep you any further, Fiora. Thank you so much for being a wonderful guest on the show. I've barely had to do anything. You've been an absolute joy to been on the show thank you so much for talking about uh all the projects you've been working on and the 
every all the court case and everything i'll do my best to plug this as best as i possibly can once again folks uh if you want to support any of fiora's works that she's got going on at the moment uh go into the show notes and click all the links in the description where you can purchase a copy of um the books that are available and to check out the audiobooks and all the other bits and pieces going on at the moment check out the twitch uh link and the youtube links and um I won't keep you any further. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. And uh, I hopefully I will have you on again on the show um, very, very soon. Um, if you want to come on, that is. I won't force you. <laughs> and, but thank you so much for... Yeah. <laughs> and something for everyone who's hung around to the very end. Thank you. Go get a cookie. But thank you. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you. Take care. And I'll see you next time.